health check, health check, Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 uh, through 47 are the verses that we are going to be looking at. And we're following this in small groups as well. Pastor Brent Cunningham has has prepared a, a small group syllabus for us. And it's not too late to join up for that. And we're thinking this health check idea, we're thinking about healthy church, healthy Christians. It's possible to be a large church that is healthy. It is possible to be a large church that is unhealthy. It is possible to be a small church that is healthy, especially in a rural situation. It's possible to be a small church that is unhealthy. And this is not just about us corporately because healthy Christians make healthy churches There's an individual or rather personal challenge as well. So these verses, Acts chapter 2, imagine this. Peter preaches one sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people become Christians. It's wonderful. It's chaotic. It's overwhelming. And Dr. Luke in the book of Acts describes something of their life together. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." There are some elements of my life that happen fairly consistently that I quite enjoy. For example, uh, I like taking my wife Kay out once in a while for a really extravagant, expensive meal. And uh, I am so glad, therefore, that uh, Costco pizza is so good, (laughs) giving me the opportunity for that. I I actually like going to my dentist. That might sound weird, And, and it's... It's not the fact that he locates a pound and a half of stainless steel in my mouth, but rather when I go there into that that office, the culture of welcome and friendliness, I I look forward to it. I I like getting my hair cut. My friend Larry, who is one of the most inspiring human beings I know, uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, Larry tries to do so much with the so little that I offer to him in the uh, presenting of the stranded peninsula that I currently <laughs> regard as a hairstyle. I like getting my hair cut, but I don't like my physical. I, I don't like my annual physical. I just don't enjoy that. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, my physician, my doctor, is also, apart from my wife, my, my best friend. And that's kind of awkward. It's just a bit weird. I mean, frankly, getting naked for your friend. <laughs> just wait. take that thought out of your mind just right now and, and sadly he shows no respect and we go through all these markers you know cholesterol and insulin and triglycerides and body fat and blood pressure and, 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 and I, just, I just want to get out of there because I suppose I, I don't want to hear bad news about the markers I'm looking for good news. The New Testament contains some good news about the health markers of the early church. They were not perfect by any means. Let's get out of this idealistic view. If we could just get back to the way it was in the early church. No, sir. No, ma'am. 
There were lots of problems uh, they faced. They, they had endless fights about various things. And they also had some awkward stuff like Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead. So, you know, when I read that, I'm not quite so keen to get back to the life of the early church. But there were markers, health markers, that we are going to consider over this next few weeks. And before we dive into the detail of that, I would like to think about this idea that they were devoted. Luke says they were devoted. There was a priority. There was an importance about them being together. They had so little in the way of resources. Think about it. They had no structure. They had no printing press. They had no New Testament. I don't know how they did life, but they had no Facebook. (laughs) They were unable, like us, They couldn't post photographs of their breakfast (laughs) on the internet for the amazement of the watching world. They had no buildings. They're meeting in the temple courts and from house to house. They had no non-profit structure. But they turned their world upside down. One of the keys of one of the keys surely was that they were devoted. They devoted themselves, Luke says, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. What's devotion? Well, Webster says it's love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. I, I've been thinking this week, what am I devoted to? How many think it's a good idea for the preacher to respond to the sermon before they preach the sermon? And I've been thinking about that. What am I devoted to? Because there are numbers of things that seem to demand our devotion. I bought bought one of mine along to show you. (laughs) Going to a restaurant, there are people out for dinner together, but they're not talking to each other. They're taking pictures of the french fries. I was on a subway train recently. Everybody in the train was on. It's, it's interesting if you look at an old movie, like from the 90s, a street scene in New York. It is so weird because what's happening is people are actually walking down the street looking around. Yeah. There was a time in history where people actually looked where they were going. Instead of, sorry, sir, devoted. You can be devoted to all kinds of things. You might be devoted to a team, you know, this Super Bowl thing. And no, I'm not, again, I, I like baseball. <laughs> just messing with you, just messing. But they were, they were devoted and And it's a beautiful word that is used there in the Greek. Uh, I've got it before me, but I know you don't care, so I won't bother to pronounce it. But the word that is used, it occurs six times in the book of Acts, and so it's a consistent characteristic of the early church. The first time we see it is in chapter 1, where it says they were giving themselves constantly to prayer. It's the same word, devoted. You see, if you were a Jesus person... Here's the way it worked. You were part of the Jesus crowd. You, 
you were devoted. Every, excuse me, not every, most letters of, in the New Testament, the epistles, are addressed to collectives, to churches. If you weren't part of it, you wouldn't get the message. Jesus, speaking to his people in the book of Revelation, speaks to churches. Think about this. In New Testament times, they valued church and fellowship so much that if you were really bringing scandal upon the life of the church and they were trying to bring you to your senses, the most punitive discipline, if I can put it like that, that they could bring upon you was the withdrawal of the privilege of fellowship. So valuable was it? And believers who didn't prioritize it were challenged to make it a priority. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now this is not about missing church next week because you've got something going on. It's not that. The word give up, or the words give up meeting together, the word is forsake or abandon. Jesus used that word on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is really about a determined attitude to say, church, eh. Why why were they doing that? Some commentators suggest that some of the Christians were forsaking gathering because they they thought they were so spiritual, they didn't need the church. I've met Christians like that. Yeah, they're, they're not at my level. And others, other commentators suggest that the believers were afraid of persecution and the challenge that would be presented if they gathered. And others say they were just becoming negligent and indifferent. Maybe it's all three. But what does this look like? And, and by the way, as we continue this, this is not a recruiting drive for, for Timberline, my task as a pastor is to preach God's word, and there will be challenges about that. But this is not just about Timberline. We regularly pray for every church in northern Colorado where the gospel is preached. We're not really interested in just seeing Timberline grow and flourish. We want the kingdom of God to come in this area. But what does commitment look like? What does it mean to be devoted? First of all, if you're following along in the bulletin, first of all, it's tangible. Commitment is tangible. They demonstrated their love for Jesus, and they did that tangibly. Part of the evidence of that was that they were committed to each other. It was tangible. Spirituality is kind of cool these days, isn't it? And I'm glad about that. It's... It affords the possibility of lots of conversations about spiritual issues. But there's a lot of different types of spirituality that are more about self-help and self-actualization. And sometimes they're just costless. It's just about me getting to be a better me. And there's no cost. And let's, can we just be honest? There are some spiritualities out there that we've got to say are just a bit weird. I don't say that in an unkind way. But it is weird in our culture that if you say that you follow Jesus, some people think you're a bit weird. But if you announce that you begin each day by standing stark naked on your head in the bathroom, meditating on an Ecuadorian fruit bat by the name of Doris the Winged One, that's kind of cool, dude. 
their expression of spirituality was tangible. A few weeks ago, Kay and I were in an Asian country. And I love these people so much, it's going to be hard for me not to tell you where it is. But for reasons of internet and everything else, I want to be cautious about that. We are in an Asian country, a country where... Uh, The believers that we met with were mostly Chinese. We were not in China. Um, But in a country where if you are a Muslim and you convert, you will very possibly die. There is a likelihood that your children will be taken away from you by the authorities. And where you might be taken to a reprogramming center and have your faith beaten out of you. And so the, the group's... Two churches that we were working with were not under direct persecution. I need to be clear about that. But they had to be really careful. They they said to me, be careful what you say. We do have occasionally government agents showing up. We went to the airport to fly home. And completely unannounced, nine or ten of their leaders showed up. 40-minute drive to say goodbye. And you're looking at that picture, you're saying, leaders, that looks like a youth group to me. One of the beautiful things about that church under pressure is that there are so many young leaders. You see that young man on the right with his son there kneeling down? That's the senior pastor. He looks about 12 to me. <laughs> but we wept as we said goodbye to these people. And, and we, you know those moments when you go through security and then you, you probably shouldn't do it, but you pop your head back around for one last wave? And yesterday, through Facebook, which can be very positive, I get a note from one of them. Pastor Jeff, we miss you. Tangible commitment even in the face of potential pressure. I want to say this. It might sound a little unusual. I need you to really listen carefully to what I'm about to say because here's what people can do when they hear a preacher. They can take a comment out of context and then we have all kinds of drama. Some of us need to stop attending Timberline. It's gone quiet. Foth is looking nervous. What on earth do you mean? What, what kind of pastor are you? Some of you need to stop attending Timberline. What do I mean? What I mean by that is some of us need to graduate from attending. When you first go to a church, it's good to attend. You're checking it out. You're figuring things out. But there comes a time when you graduate from attending to having a sense of commitment and, and service and engagement. I don't attend my family. Yes, I'm attending the Lucas family. No, they're in my heart, they're in my soul, they're in my gut. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about them. Is it time for some of us to graduate from attendance into something more tangible? Secondly, it's purposeful. Purposeful. Sometimes you ask Christians, why does church matter? They say, I don't know, but you're supposed to do it, aren't you? Michael Griffiths said this. Christians collectively seem to be suffering from a strange amnesia. A high proportion of people who go to church 
have forgotten what it's all for. Week by week, they attend services in a special building and go through the particular time-honored routines, but give little thought to the purpose of what they're doing. What, what's the point? Well, let's think about that. Why do we do this? Well, the first reason, let me give you a complex phrase. The first reason is ecclesial ontology. Ecclesial ontology. I know that sounds like a disease, doesn't it? What is ecclesial ontology? It is the special presence of Christ in the gathering of his people. God is with us all the time, and yet the Bible reveals the Christ who walks in the midst of the candlesticks of Revelation. And so there can be a special sense of God's felt presence when we gather. Martin Luther said, at my home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. So we gather together to experience God's presence. Secondly, we renew our identity when we gather together. We renew our identity. I've talked about this before, but anyone ever seen The Lion King? film or play. Raise your hand if you've seen The Lion King. I love it. I love it. And my, it's, it's a story of challenge. You remember scars. Everyone remember the evil scar. And he challenges little Simba. Little Simba is overwhelmed by guilt because Simba has contributed to the death of his father and he feels ashamed and Scar, scar says, run away Simba. Run away! My favorite part of the play, the movie, is when Mufasa, his dad, speaks from the clouds. And he says, Simba, you are my son. You are my son, Simba. Simba, you have forgotten who you are. I've been practicing that one, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I've been standing in front of the mirror all week going, Simba! <laughs> but as he remembers who he is, he marches back to the pride land to restore law and order. Identity renewal, missional family. These people are meeting in the temple courts. Where are they baptizing? Many baptismal pools still around Jerusalem. Very public, but then the opportunity to invite converts into the community of God. And then the context for growth and ministry. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the church in Ephesus and he says this. He prays that they may have power, look at this, together with all the saints to grasp and know this love that surpasses knowledge. We've, we've misunderstood this saint idea. A saint is not a dead person sitting on a pink cloud with a halo, irritatingly playing an electric harp for the rest of eternity, slightly out of tune. That is not a saint. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a saint. Because you are, the word saint means set apart. You're set apart for God's purposes. Another word, by the way, is Devoted. But when we get together and we wrestle with Scripture, there is a potential for us to discover more of the love, the grace, God's principles for our lives together with all the saints. There's a reason for all this. Number three. Number three, it's disruptive. 
Commitment is disruptive. I mean, look at this. Initially, they're getting together daily. Wow. And then it moves to a a weekly gathering in unfolding church history and other meetings as well. But it was just part of their life. Here's a question. Do some of us need to move church from option to ritual? From option to ritual. What's a ritual? A ritual is something that you do consistently that you don't even have to think about. It's just a component of your life. I am really hoping that when you got up this morning, you did not say to yourself, self, shower today or not. The person sitting next to you is really hoping you didn't have that conversation. Why? Because it's a a ritual. Uh, and some rituals are meaningless. I used to wear contact lenses. I always put the left lens in before I put the right lens in. It was my routine, my ritual. One morning, I'm embarrassed to confess, by mistake, I put the right lens in first, into my right eye, so it was okay, but something inside me said, no. Something has been violated here. So I took the right lens out of my eye, put it back in the box, opened the left lens cover up, put the left lens in my eye, then put the right lens in my eye for the second time that morning. As I put the right lens in for the second time, it occurred to me, I might need counselling. But I've got routines, like electric toothbrush. I love my electric toothbrush, because if you do the two-minute thing, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, you get a little smiley face. It fills me with joy. So I've got a routine. I pray while I'm cleaning my teeth. Top, 30 seconds. I pray for my grandsons. Bottom, front, 30 seconds. I pray for my daughter and son-in-law. Third, 30 seconds. I pray for my son and his wife-to-be. Last, 30 seconds. I pray for Kay, because she lives with me. (laughs) It's a routine. Don't have to think about it. So... Where's church? Is, is church like, well, what do you think, honey? Shall we? Timberland? What do you think? Or has it a priority that we're willing to allow disruption at times in our lives? I don't want us to be legalistic about this. You know, 30 years ago, if you missed church on Sunday, there was a high possibility that God was going to kill you. It's not that, but disruption. Number four, devotion is unusual. It's arresting, it's unusual. Richard Seltzer is a surgeon who writes beautifully in his book, Mortal Lessons, Notes on the Art of Surgery. Allow me, if I may, to read his observation of an episode of devotion as a surgeon who's just completed a procedure. I stand beside the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, somewhat clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be this way from now on. I had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek. I had to cut that little nerve. 
Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me. The moment is a private one. Who are they, I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at each other so generously, so lovingly. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. And all at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. For one is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. Devotion in that moment. Beautiful. And it's going to take that with us and church. Church commitment can be unusual. Consumerism, busyness. Sometimes we can be dedicated to excitement rather than church. As long as it's exciting around here, I'm in. Kay and I have been married now for 40 years, but we had a little chat recently. This is kind of personal, but I thought I'd share it for your prayerful interest. She's here. I don't have permission, but forgiveness is easier. <laughs> I, I said, honey, look, thanks for the 40 years. It's, it's been good. But I just need you to know, darling, that I'm only in this as long as it's exciting. And if it stops being exciting, you know, I'm going to just, you know, take off. That's okay. So I I wish you could see your faces. Because you know this is an illustration, but some of you, particularly you ladies, you can't help yourself. Your eyes are all narrow. You're fantasizing about my execution right now. Of course I wouldn't say that. So why do we approach other relationships like that? Yeah, I'm I'm in this church as long as as it's exciting, as long as they sing the songs I like. Not too loud, not too soft. As long as they use the Bible I like. I'm in for that, yeah. As As long as one of those new people doesn't sit in the pew, the chair that Jesus gave me, As long as one of those new people doesn't take the parking space that Jesus gave me. (laughs) Let's be committed. During the first service this morning, I took a moment to address the beautiful people in our traditions congregation who meet over there. It is not exclusively seniors, but there are many seniors there. Go meet them sometime. They are gorgeous people. 
Many of them have faithfully navigated endless question marks and cancers and loss of spouse. And they're still trusting Jesus. And their journey is priceless, as are they. Devotion is arresting. Well, the last thing is this, number five. And that is that devotion commitment is, is challenging. Sometimes we just don't feel like it. It's, it's challenging. It's an old story, but there's a story told of a young man fast asleep on Sunday morning, and his mum knocks on his bedroom door, and she says, Get up, son. It's, it's time to go to church. And he says, Oh, mama, I, I, I don't want to go to church. And she said, Look, you, you need to go. Why don't you want to go? And he said, Well, I mean, how long have you got? I'm... I'm I'm bored with the sermons, I don't like the worship, I'm weary, I want to sleep in. And and besides, those people at that church don't even like me. Give me one good reason to go, Mom. And she said, well, well, son, you are the pastor. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't feel like it. I didn't wake up this morning, do a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I flew through the air. I landed in my cowboy boots and the angel Gabriel handed me a cup of tea. No. How would it work? Let's just play with it. How would it work? Like, And now, Pastor Jeff, that specimen of physical perfection is going to come and speak says Pastor Donnie. And I come up here and go, hey everybody, good morning Timberline. Let's play the game, come on. Morning, morning. yeah, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here. I just had a rough week, so if so, I, I don't do this. <laughs> the gentleman who said we're happy, security, come right now. We don't always feel like it, but Commitment, be it challenging, is vital. Have a last look at Hebrews 10.25 before we wrap this up. Look at this. Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. That word spur, it's the same word for spurs that I might put on my boots while riding a horse. Dobbin has come to a complete stop. There is no gas pedal, brake, or steering wheel. Come on, come on, boy. Giddy up. This is hurting me. I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> That's what church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be just, oh, wasn't that, wasn't that nice? So comforting. There are going to be times, I hope maybe when you go out of here and later you're having lunch and you're sitting around the table eating dead chicken and you're thinking, what was that he said? What was that? Because the sermon is designed to activate a search, not end it. It should get under our skin, provoking one another to good deeds. Well, this word devoted, the verb means to persist obstinately in. One commentator says devoted, the word means to stick like glue. I tried to fix something this week with super glue. Fell off the wall. I started the repair with a hand like this. 
I ended the repair with a hand like this. <laughs> Stick like glue. The final analogy is in Mark 3. It's an unusual one. This word devoted is used. And you know how it's used? It's used to describe a boat that was being held in readiness because the crowds were getting to be so big. And it says there that Jesus had his disciples had a small boat ready because of the crowd. And the word there means, is the same word, devoted. The boat was devoted in that moment, holding steady. I love that. The Sea of Galilee may be, the swell is moving the boat, but they're steadying the boat because Jesus could need it at any moment devoted so two questions you might want to write these down what are we devoted to that's a big question wow what are we devoted to and if that's overwhelming and and, and don't rush by the question by the way you know what am I devoted to answer God next let's think about it and then the second question would be what one step might I take One step to further cement my devotion in church life. What one step might I take, may I put it like this, to move from attending to something deeper? Devotion. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, in a world that is at times very lonely and drafty. We thank you for the privilege that is ours of being your family. We pray for every church in this beautiful northern Colorado area. Wherever your gospel is preached, would you strengthen your people? This is not about us as Timberline. This is principles of life for all believers everywhere. Would you show us as we wrestle with a big question, what am I devoted to? Would you help us not to rush by that question, feeling intimidated by it? And would you help us to know that one step that we might take to further stick like glue Let's just wait quietly before the Lord. And also, it may be that the the one step that needs to be taken is the step to become a follower of Jesus. To be devoted to Him and then His people. To become a Christian. It may be that, that you attend and you're not a Christian. You attend because of a friend or a spouse or because you're interested. And thank you for that. But this could be a moment of saying, I, I want you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I, I'm deciding. I'd like to invite you into my life. I'd like to ask you to forgive me. It's all available because of his work on the cross. His resurrection. He is alive 
And a person who becomes a Christian is a person who is taking a step of faith. I put my trust in you, Jesus, and now I'm inviting you to take charge. Now lead me forever, forever. Lead me forever. So I'm going to pray a little prayer. Might be that you're a long way from God. You are a Christian, but you're a long way from God at the moment. You can use this too if you'd like. God's not too worried about the precise wording. He's looking for heart. If you want to become a Christian, you want to come back to him, here's the prayer. Lord, I want you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I offer my life to you. Save me. Rescue me. Take charge. I hand over the steering wheel of my life to you now. I'm in, Lord, by faith. I'm with you now and with your people. I'm in. As our heads are still bowed, and I'm just looking around, if you've just used that prayer, either to become a Christian or you're coming back, Can I ask you just very simply, please, as I look around, all our heads are bowed, will you just slip up your hand and hold it there for a moment, please? Just do that right now. And around the room, people are doing just that, over in the middle here and at the back and to my left and to my right there. Thank you. God bless each one. You can lower your hand. Please know that at the end of the service, in a few minutes from now, there'll be a group of people at the front here They have materials they would like to give you to help you now as you've taken this big step. So take a moment when the service is done to come and have a moment with one of them. So we thank you for your goodness on this beautiful day. We give you praise, Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen.